Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome and thanks for joining me today. Humility accountability, responsibility. These are all hallmarks of a great leader and we learn about all of them from Captain Jonathan Archer in this one as we beam into episode five of the second season of Enterprise, A Night in Sickbay. We're in the decon chamber. A cool thing about Enterprise is that they rarely use the transporter. And when they do, it's still a super undeveloped technology. So whenever they visit a planet, they have to decontaminate. Later in Star Trek chronology, the, the transporter handles that. A few episodes get into kind of the tech and the science of that. But, but that just wasn't the case in Enterprise. So we see this chamber used, used quite a bit in the series. We've got Hoshi, Paul, Archer, and Porthos in there. Hoshi Sato is the communications officer. Paul is the science officer, first officer, and a sub-commander for the Vulcan High Command. Archer is, of course, the, the captain. And Porthos? Well, Porthos is Archer's dog, his beagle. Because, because of course, Captain Archer has a pet on board when absolutely no one else does. Hey, you listen to me. I'm the boss. So they're in there doing the decon thing, which basically means they're they're all in a black light, wearing underwear and rubbing glitter gel all over each other. And Archer, Archer's complaining. They've been in orbit of the Kratasan planet trying to establish a relationship so they can trade for plasma injectors, but they offended the Kratasans by eating in front of them. And Archer, Archer's taking it as a huge affront that they're offended. How long were we in orbit, groveling? Six days? Five, sir, and it wasn't exactly groveling. Good for you, Hoshi, you call him on that stuff. Well, he just keeps going on and on and on. Dr. Phlox finally, finally gives a little reprieve. He says the three officers can leave decon, but Porthos has picked up a pathogen and the, the chamber's not able to take care of it, so Phlox is going to run some tests. In engineering, Archer's trying to convince Trip, the chief engineer, that they don't, they don't really need a plasma injector. I'm not comfortable with four, Captain. We need five. 
Archer just wants to leave the situation, not have to deal with the customs and culture of the people on the planet, but Trip is holding hard and fast to the bare minimum of any process, which is always have a backup. And if any of you have served in the U.S. military, you know that a backup isn't even good enough. You got to have a backup for that backup. So they need they need four plasma injectors to run safely. Trip wants at least five, but I don't think he should be satisfied with less than six. But well, I guess I guess I'm not the chief engineer of a starship. So so there's that. He encourages Archer to do whatever he has to do. Just apologize and make nice. Apparently, on top of the eating, they have somehow offended them again. So Archer asks to Paul to find out what they did and how they can make it right. Archer checks in now with Dr. Phlox. Before setting down on the planet, we learned that they sent their genomes to the scientists to be sure that things were safe. Despite that, Porthos, Porthos isn't doing well. His immune system is falling apart and Phlox has no idea why. And Archer dives into some role shifting. He's offended the Kratassans twice now, but instead of having the humility to find out why and to find out what it will take to make it right, he's looking for a way to shift the blame onto them. I'm told I've offended these people twice. Once for eating in front of them, the second time I don't even know what for. But if their carelessness has hurt Porthos, or God forbid ends up killing him, they're going to find out what being offended is all about. Wow. Well, I'll talk about this more in the red alert and command code sections because, yeah, there is a lot to unpack, even more as the episode continues. But I want to try, I want to try and understand where he's coming from here. Like, okay, let me put myself in his shoes. His best friend is possibly dying and he's scared. I get it. I, I do. But what I don't get is, is this just totally macho response. But I'm going to try and temper this with the fear and the anxiety that come when a loved one is suffering. Okay, he heads back to the bridge. Paul asks to talk to him in private. The newest offense she's learned is that Porthos has peed on an ancient tree that is sacred to the Kratassans. She attempted to apologize on his behalf, and they agreed to discuss possible acts of contrition, but Archer just doesn't stop. Where the hell do you get off conveying my sincerest apologies? And keeps trying to shift the blame onto them. To Paul, much more directly than Hoshi earlier, calls him on it. There are some things more important than plasma injectors. Are you referring to your pride? Given the tone of this conversation, you can likely imagine just how professionally he responded to that. Well, after pouting in his quarters for a while, I'm, I'm sorry. I said I was going to try and see this from his point of view, so let me try that again. Um, okay, so so after sitting restlessly in his quarters, he grabs his bedding and heads to sick bay. He's going to stay the night so he can stay close to Porthos, which honestly, honestly, that's pretty cool. Phlox is working hard to figure out what's going on with him. Archer... <laughs> Archer questions his qualifications on working on a beagle. Captain, please. You needn't be concerned. I hold six degrees in interspecies veterinary medicine. Ah, oh, jeez. I'm sorry. This, seriously. This is the second season of the show, and he's questioning the ship's doctor on his qualifications. <sighs> Well, after that shining example of how to instill trust in your crew, 
Flox shares that he's eliminated the pathogen. Like he's been successful, but he still needs to repair the damage done to Porthos's immune system. Without a healthy system, normal bacteria that we experience every day can be lethal. So he's administering a treatment and will be monitoring him for the next few hours. He encourages Archer to get some sleep. So Archer lays down in a sickbay bed that I can 100% guarantee I would fall right out of. The thing, the thing's barely as wide as his body. Well, we get a long sequence of events where Phlox is working around sickbay and the, the noise keeps Archer awake. I'm sorry, Captain. Did I wake you? This whole thing really, really frustrated me. Archer's been serving in Starfleet for like, I don't know, a decade or more. And sleeping in awkward situations should just kind of be another day at the office for him. I remember sleeping soundly on the submarine that I served on in the torpedo room. I could actually stretch out all the way because I'm, I'm, I'm taller than the racks. The normal beds were long. And on top of that, I didn't have to hot rack. And if you've never heard of hot racking, look it up. It is, uh, yeah, it's super great. Hot racking, also known as hot bunking or hot bedding, is a sanctioned practice within military organizations of assigning more than one crew member to a bed or rack to reduce berthing, sleeping, space. In addition to those two huge pluses, I also got to sleep on top of ordnance in a room with all the lights on and shipmates hard at work. Getting sleep in weird situations is a life skill I learned in a fraction of the time that Archer has been in similar situations. Well, he finally stops trying to sleep and he heads to the gym. T'Pol's in there and she's on a treadmill. She asks about Porthos and then, then this weird thing starts to happen. She bumps up the speed on her treadmill, you know, as, as people do. Well, he side eyes her, he looks threatened and then he bumps his speed up too. This keeps happening, right? He keeps trying to outdo her through the whole scene until T'Pol just finally gives it up. What's the matter? I obviously can't keep up with you. He tries to find out from her more about what the Kratassins are gonna require from him. And she is trying to explain that they're, the Kratassins are just looking for an apology that's appropriate for their culture. I'm sorry. For what? Just practicing. He's just not taking this seriously at all. T'Pol continues to press the point, not accepting him blaming anyone else. You shouldn't have brought your dog on a diplomatic mission, especially considering we had previously offended the Kratassians. But he keeps defending his choices and blaming them. He says, he says they knew Porthos was coming along, so, so this is all their fault. You're once again ignoring the consequences of your actions. Saved by the bell, Hoshi calls down and lets him know the demands have been sent. Archer reads them and just makes some jokes about him. He tosses the list to Paul and heads back to sickbay. He gets a little sleep and then alarms start going off as Porthos goes into anaphylactic shock. The treatment that Phlox administered didn't work. He's quick to respond though and he's able to stabilize Porthos. He tries a new treatment approach and again tells Archer it's, it's going to take a few more hours. And then the episode takes a turn. Archer starts complaining about T'Pol and Phlox questions why her opinion matters so much to him. And then he asks, How long has it been since you were intimate with a woman? What? Archer gets mad, brushes him off, and lays back down. A loose bat wakes Archer up. See, Phlox keeps a lot of different animals on hand in sickbay for their medicinal uses. And while they try and catch the bat, Phlox gently brings up the, uh, the tensions that he believes Archer is experiencing. 
He says he's been observing behaviors and forming his opinion for months now. And Archer responds with another top-notch leadership line. With all due respect to your training, you're wrong. This scene just goes on and on. Hoshi comes in, easily snatches the bat out of the air. She's letting Archer know that the Kratassans are getting impatient for his response. And like we've seen him do a couple times now, he brushes her off and goes back to sleep as Phlox continues his work on Porthos. He has a dream that all but confirms Phlox's observations. Much of the dream takes place in the decon chamber while phrases that Phlox has said replay in the background. He wakes up from the dream and Phlox shares that the treatment is not working well. Archer shares a story about how he came by his dog. I've had Porthos since he was six weeks old. And T'Pol brings in some food for them and asks if he's responded to the Kratassans yet. He, of course, makes some snide comments about them. And then Star Trek makes a pretty juvenile, but not too far off the mark, attempt at humor. I haven't slept very much, but I'm doing the best I, the best I can. <laughs> and another one of those follows, pretty Freudian, or as Phlox calls them, Philarian slips. Phlox's new treatment has been effective, but his pituitary gland has been damaged. So Phlox does a transplant with one of the animals from his menagerie. During the procedure, they discuss Archer's feelings towards T'Pol. Phlox suggests that he, he can't ignore the, the feelings, but he shouldn't act on them either, especially given their professional relationship. Ultimately, he should just be, he should just be aware of it. Archer, with real curiosity, asks if his wisdom around relationships comes from his training or, or from life experience. And he says it's both. We learn a lot here about the Nobulan relationships. He has, he has three wives, and each wife has three husbands. That's 720 total relationships. Honestly, about 721 more than, than I think I can handle. <laughs> As they talk, Archer starts to understand how he's treated flocks and the impact that's had. I want to apologize for it. He accepts the apology and then uses what he knows of Archer to help him realize what he should have realized way back when the episode first started. And to think, DePaul told me you were incapable of apologizing. The next scene is Archer, on the surface, performing the apology ceremony for the Kratassans. He's chainsawing wood. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. Wearing some early 2000s beads in his hair and speaking their language. The apology is accepted and they're on their way. The Kratassans even gave them two spare extra plasma injectors. Hmm, seems, it seems an apology can get you a lot farther than being all self-righteous. T'Pol joins Archer in his ready room. Since I've been getting so much practice giving apologies, I thought I might give you one. And he addresses the tensions that Phlox brought up. He calls it uh, a friction that's between them. He says he wants to minimize it as much as possible. She agrees, but says that friction is normal when people are left in close quarters for an extended period of time. And he adds that it's even more of an impact when those people are of the opposite sex. She responds in a brilliantly professional manner. Then it's good that you're my superior officer. Like, it's not even part of the equation, given their professional relationship. He heads back to sickbay, and he thanks Phlox for his help and his guidance. And hey... Porthos is healthy, clean bill of health. We're going home. This is a tough one for me. 
I've got to separate my feelings on Archer in this episode from the episode itself. When I first watched through this one, <laughs> I I thought it was a pile of steaming garbage. But that's that's really what I think of. Well, spoiler alert here, <laughs> I guess. That's really more about what I feel about Archer. On my second watch through, I, I actually kind of enjoyed this one. John Billingsley, the actor that portrays Phlox, is firing on all cylinders here. He carries himself as a professional, but he's also super fun and, and believable in the role. There's even some fun Star Trek medical science problem solving that goes on here. Come to Quark's crisis fun. Come right now. Go Quark. Run. Choose your fighter. Welcome to Jane Bay Neighbor Gamers. We chose to do this podcast because of our passion for video games. Over several decades, we have played on various consoles from Atari, Sega Genesis, NES, PlayStation, Xbox, and next-gen consoles. We also love talking about pop culture, Marvel, and Star Wars movies. Video games is our escape from a hard day's work, and what better way to spend it by talking about the latest video games. You can find us on all the major podcasting apps or look for us at NeighborGamers.com. Did you just survive another meeting that should have been an email or not even have happened at all? Do you dream of efficient, meaningful meetings? Then you need Lucid Meetings. Lucid Meetings makes it easy for teams to run successful meetings every day. Visit lucidmeetings.com to explore free workshops, free resources, and to learn more. Lucid Meetings, because teams that meet well accomplish more and have more fun. Visit lucidmeetings.com today. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. They did this weird thing in the episode where they kept showing what time it was at the beginning of most of the scenes. I think it was supposed to give us the feeling that the night was long and super drawn out, but but really, it just made me think that all of this wasn't actually a really big deal. It also made me lose all belief in what was happening. Like, within 12 hours or so, they go through all the Porthos stuff, which is huge, Archer's sexual tension, and he learns a super complex apology ceremony that includes choreography and a different language. It's, I mean, the, the time thing was kind of a cool idea, I guess. It's just, just pretty poor execution. I mentioned in the last episode that this episode, A Night in Sick Bay, was nominated for a Hugo Award. Apparently, Star Trek kind of dominates the Hugo Awards. My private log got an update about the Hugo Gerns back. It's won four of them and has been nominated like 27 times or so for almost every series between TOS and Discovery. This award is about excellence in science fiction and fantasy, so honestly, it's no wonder that Star Trek's all over them. This episode was nominated in 2003 and lost out to the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, Conversations with Dead People. It's Buffy's Night of the Living Dead. Everyone's got issues. Other nominees included an episode of Angel, Firefly, and Enterprise's Carbon Creek. Pretty great year for sci-fi and specifically for Joss Whedon. Well, I think what really made this episode work for me, though, was John Billingsley. Period. This guy is Phlox. He carries himself so well and makes Flocks into such, I don't know, a, a realistic and sympathetic character. He's fun, but 
but he's also serious when he needed to be like, he's a professional doctor with multiple degrees. And, and, and you completely believe that in the scene when they were chasing the bat, he was awesome. He made this origami bird thing and started with mating calls. <laughs> it was great. In an episode that really exemplifies some of the absolute worst in leadership, Billingsley and Flocks made this fun and entertaining and totally an episode worth watching. Command codes verified. Oh, seriously, where to even start? There's, let's see, there's the outright refusal to do his job as captain of the ship and diplomatic liaison for Starfleet. Then there's his outright juvenile refusal to take responsibility for his actions. Oh, and don't forget the schoolboy competitive attitude he takes with his crew. Yeah, this is another in a long, long line of stinkers for Archer. Is it all bad, though? Surprisingly, no, it's, it's not all bad. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. There was one little line early in this episode that really set the tone for me. Like, I can try and think of excuses for why Archer wouldn't want to apologize to the Katassins and, 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 and wouldn't take their culture that seriously. But, but when he's in engineering, Tripp says this one thing. Well, you're a trained diplomat. Where was he trained? DeVry? DeVry University Online. I mean, there is not a single thing he does that even suggests he knows the meaning of the word diplomacy, let alone has had any training in it. Like, like why does he bring his dog? I think it's super cool to bring your kid or a loved one to work, you know, when it's safe. I can't imagine what would have made an experienced Starfleet captain, an experienced and trained Starfleet captain, even consider this. There are really two things happening here. The first is his blatant disrespect of the Kratassian culture. And the second is his refusal to apologize and take accountability for his actions. At the beginning of the episode, they had apparently offended them by eating in front of the Kratassians. And this is not an unexpected taboo. Like, if I was in a culture I didn't know too well, I probably wouldn't just make myself at home and eat in front of them. Even here on Earth today, I can think of a thousand things that could go wrong if I did that. What if the culture is vegan or doesn't eat pork or, or something like that? J just by downing a sandwich, I could totally offend them. I would think that as a diplomat, this would have been a given. And then Porthos? Peeing on a tree? I don't think anything can defend the choices Archer made. But but he's personally offended that they are offended. If he had taken a minute, literally one single minute, and either played it safe and not eaten in front of them, or learned that even learned even the surface level aspects of their culture, all of this could have been avoided. But nope. Archer's gonna do what Archer wants to do. I do what I want. When you work with or interact with people, you know, like we all do, there's just about, oh, I don't know, a 100% chance that you're gonna end up offending somebody at some point. Probably not intentionally, but you'll say something or do something that rubs somebody the wrong way or, or is outright offensive to them. And here's the thing, that's okay. 
It's not reasonable to think or expect that you'll never offend anyone. The difference, the difference is what you do once you've offended them. We see two possibilities play out in this episode. There's what happens through most of it where he thinks it's dumb that they're offended and chooses to be offended himself that they are offended. This is what someone that is honestly really insecure would do. Someone someone with low self-esteem, low self-confidence. And the other possibility is what we see at the end when he apologizes. I apologize. He takes accountability for his choices and his actions. He honors their culture apologizes. And and this is the thing. They actually give him more than what they were asking for or that they even needed. So let me ask you, which approach is better? Which possibility plays out the best for everybody involved? Sure, it would have been cool if the the face of Starfleet out in the galaxy would have known this from the get-go, but hey, his folly is our gain. Because the reality is that stuff happens. Things don't go according to plan a lot of the time. So depending on just one person on their own can, can, can be unreasonable. I get that. Now, now, if only Archer had a team of you know, highly trained professionals to help him make the best possible choices and, and, and prepare for this encounter. You're once again ignoring the consequences of your actions. If only. When you have a team and they're trying to help you, let them help you. Archer had to Paul, Hoshi, Trip, and Flocks all telling him the same things, trying to get him to do the right thing. Despite all that, he charges ahead, bullheaded. One of the signs of a good leader is the ability and the humility to listen to the advice and the counsel of others, especially when they are all telling you the same thing, the the same thing that lines up with the training you have apparently gotten on the subject. So what did we learn from Archer here? Well, first, be aware of and honor the culture, traditions, and laws of the places and people you're around. And second, when you offend someone, apologize and take responsibility. That means you need to do better next time, right? And finally, finally, we learned, listen to and trust your team. All of these are fantastic lessons, but the learning does not stop there. Oh, no, it doesn't. I I can't get through this section without looking at Archer's just embarrassing display in the gym. Now, you might not realize this by looking at me now, (laughs) but but when I was younger, I spent a pretty ridiculous amount of time in the gym. Most of that time was spent picking heavy things up and putting them back down again. And and you get a group of people together throwing some heavy iron like that, and a lot of those people can get pretty stupid, throwing extra plates on the bar, trying to outdo the other person, right? Now, most of the time, this was in good fun. It was pretty motivating, actually. You know, I remember the first time I benched 275 pounds. It was after a buddy of mine did it. I mean, I couldn't hit my 225 and let him show me up with 275. So I threw some 25s on each side. And and this, this right here is the key part that I think kept it fun and motivating. I asked my buddy to spot me, right? So with a little help, I got it done. 
he helped me achieve a new a new level. And the next time we hit chest, I started at my 225 and ended at 275. That drive totally helped me improve. But then there's what we see from Archer. To Paul's doing her thing, bumping the speed up on the treadmill. Every time she does, Archer gets this threatened look on his face that kind of turns, I don't know, it actually kind of looks like it turns hostile. Kudos to Scott Bakula here for, for really nailing this. But she gets wise to what he's doing and finally, I obviously can't keep up with you. And she just walks away. Now this happens in the workplace too. In fact, oof, in fact, it happens a lot, at least in my experience. People jockeying to look good and to outdo their colleagues and peers. Now sometimes this is great, like my bench press example. People can compete, drive each other to do great things, but but that's when that is the motivation. All too often we see an archer at work, someone that feels threatened by someone else doing a good job. Instead of recognizing them for their great work and trying to learn from them, these people interject themselves into meetings and situations. They'll always have something they feel they need to add when someone says something. In fact, I spot these people quickly when they describe the water in a meeting. I'm drowning here, and you're describing the water. Like, people have said what needs to be said, but like Greg Kinnear in this scene, somebody's got to pipe up just to re-explain what's already been said. They need to repeat someone's point or, or just explain the situation in a slightly different way. There's no reason for them to be saying anything here. They're not adding any value, and they're not even really actually participating in the discussion. They're just, they're just saying words, so they're a part of the meeting too. This is, this is them looking and feeling threatened. This is them looking at the person running next to them and bumping their treadmill speed up too. The weird and honestly cool thing about people that are doing stuff that is better than you is you can benefit from their performance as well. You, you don't benefit by trying to outdo them, like turning it into a competition. No, you benefit by sharing their success with others, by recognizing their great work and giving them all the credit. When you do that, people see you in a favorable light as well. And maybe, maybe that person will be motivated to help you improve too. You can directly benefit from them, just like I did when my buddy was outlifting me. Now, Archer wasn't all bad in this. No, he, he did learn. In the final five minutes of this 45-minute-long episode, he gets it. He apologizes to Phlox, and this leads him to apologize to the Katassins. And then he even apologizes to T'Pol. Before he apologized, everyone was at least a little frustrated with him, if not outright mad. He was miserable, he felt slighted, and the ship wasn't getting the supplies it needed. He finally stepped up and apologized, which led to a warm reception from Phlox. You're welcome back anytime, Captain. A renewed understanding with T'Pol and more plasma injectors than they thought they needed. Dude, this is the lesson of this episode. It's so simple and so very powerful. Just apologize. Don't get offended that others are offended. Just own your role, take responsibility, 
and apologize. Trust me, great things happen when you do. I'm really looking forward to getting to some of the later episodes of Enterprise. I honestly remember Archer as being a much better captain and leader than he has been in the six episodes of the show we've watched so far. There are just about 100 episodes of Enterprise, I think 97 in total. So we by no means have a full, full picture of him yet. I want to thank all of you for your support. 2021 was a great year for the Starfleet Leadership Academy, and I'm looking forward to spending 2022 with you. For now, let's connect. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast, and you can follow me on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in um, tension, <laughs> A-K-I-N. And I would like to personally invite you to join the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast group on Facebook. A computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Sticking in the world of second seasons, it's the 14th episode from Deep Space Nine, Whispers. It's an O'Brien must suffer episode. DS9 has a bunch of episodes where O'Brien goes through absolute nightmarish and horrible situations. I think think this might have been the first one, actually. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to watch it with you. But until then, ex astra scientia. Greetings, listeners. I'm excited and honored to introduce Walkiria Whitlock. She's the president at Global MVP and an author. She recently published a book full of poetry and prose to excite the magic in your life. Her book, I Love What I've Forgotten, is available wherever you buy books, and I have a link to it in the show notes. She also totally understands why Star Trek is so important to us. I think one of the beauties of Star Trek is that we're able to really engulf ourselves into this magical world and anything is possible, right? I like to bring that into our everyday life. While Kyria wanted to share this poem from her book with you and the other listeners of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, it's called The Magician. Magic is in our perception. Like a magic show, there are different roles. You can choose to be in awe or pick things apart. What role will you play? Someone who watches unfazed or is simply amazed? Or will you, my friend, become the magician? The book, once again, is I Love What I've Forgotten. Find it wherever you buy books or by clicking the link in the show notes. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid.